Prue Leith is a novelist who's also been a food writer, television presenter, cook, caterer, teacher, businesswoman, journalist and charity worker. Born in South Africa, Prue has spent most of her working life in London, where she set up a hugely successful catering business. She also opened a restaurant and wrote several cookbooks before taking up roles as a columnist in the Daily Mail, Sunday Express and The Guardian, and setting up two chef schools. Prue's first novel was published in 1995. She now has five novels to her name, as well as her autobiography and her many cookbooks. She chaired the School Food Trust from November 2006 until January 2010, helping to transform school meals. She's also been a judge on the BBC television programme, Great British Menus, since its inception in 2006. Prue's honours include an OBE, awarded in 1989, the Verve Clico Businesswoman of the Year Award, which she received in 1990, and a CBE, awarded in 2010. Today, Prue Leith receives a Doctor of Letters from the University of Warwick. Well, welcome to the University of Warwick. Thank and you. And congratulations on your honorary degree. What does this award mean to you? Um, well, you know what, I'm very confused by it because, I mean, it's very flattering and wonderful, but, you know, basically, it's unearned. I mean, you're given it out of the blue, sort of brilliant, it just happens. And suddenly I've got a degree which I have not done an exam for and I've not done any study for. So it seems a bit of a cheat, really. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not saying no. no <laughs> You're not complaining. <laughs> well, you've had a very impressive career. Did you have a strong idea of what you wanted to do from an early age? No, I had absolutely no idea. Um, I mean, I thought I wanted to be an actress. I started life by going to drama school. Then I swapped to art school, then architecture school. Then I tried to do a BA. Then I went to philosophy. And then I went to France to do French. And then I started eating good French grub. And I, then the scales fell from my <laughs> eyes and I knew I wanted to be a cook. Well, food is obviously a passion for you. And it was your business for many years. Mm -hmm. But it can feel quite a male-dominated field now, with the majority of celebrity chefs on television are male. And I'm just wondering what kind of experience you had as a woman when you were setting up your business. Well, you know what? I had a very easy time of it because I was the only woman with a serious and sort of expensive posh restaurant. And the sort of male chefs of the time, which were Anton Wasserman and, and the Brew brothers, you know, the elder Brew brothers, um, Albert and Michelle and co., they all sort of regarded me as a kind of pet. And so they were hugely helpful. And it's interesting because there was nothing really um, sexist about it. But... What I think was the problem with the um, trade, but I never suffered from it, was that there was a lot of initiation and bullying and stuff went on in kitchens. And women suffered a lot. And so women quit kitchens a lot because they would, you know, they'd find themselves getting slammed up against the fridge door and the guys thought it was a great joke and they didn't think it was so funny. Mm. And so that sort of bullying um, atmosphere in kitchens... I never had to suffer because I owned the thing. You know, for right from the beginning, I worked for myself. But I did work really hard to change the atmosphere and the attitude in kitchens because, you know, I mean, even the army isn't allowed to bully people anymore, so why on earth should cooks be allowed to bully mm. young cooks? And um, I always say I don't approve of the Gordon Ramsay School of Management. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good cook, though. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, 
In the 90s, you turned your attentions away from writing about food. And in 1995, you published your first novel. Mm. What prompted that career change? Well, in a sense, it wasn't really a career change because I'd always written something. I mean, I, when I was at university, one of my frequent um, failures was that I I wrote a, a play which was performed at college, but it wasn't it wasn't published because it wasn't very good. And I've always written poetry or stories or something. But what? What sort of took over my writing was cookery writing and journalism, travel, and I did a lot of interviews, mostly with chefs, but I did do a lot of interviews. And so I was—I always spent Fridays writing, whatever. And it's just what came upon me is that when I was heading for 50, I realised that this novel that I had been cooking in my head for a very long time would never get written if I didn't stop writing food. So I just decided I'll never write another recipe and I will sell the business and then I can't have an excuse for not writing the novels. So I sold the business and I um, have not written another recipe in the last 20 years. People still think I'm a cookery writer, but I don't <laughs> write cookery. And then I published five novels and then my autobiography. So, Yeah, you've had quite a bit of success, haven't you? Mm. Fantastic. Well, you're still very much involved in food. And I was looking on your website, yeah. and you confess you can't resist appearing on the Great British Menu. Yeah. What is it about that show in particular that you find difficult to resist? Well, I mean, the technical reason that I do that is because I sell more novels when I'm on air, which is ridiculous, because, I mean, <laughs> there am I stuffing my face, eating wonderful food cooked by wonderful chefs. Nothing to do with writing novels at all. But it's something to do with your profile, you know, just the name. And I think people must wander into Waterstones or something and think, oh, I've sort of heard of that woman. I think I'll buy her cookbook, I mean, her, her novel. And then all think it's a cookbook and then be rather surprised when they get it. It's not. <laughs> but um, I, I also do it because I think people should admit to liking glory more. I mean, I enjoy the tension. <laughs> I like I really like being stopped in the supermarket and people saying, "Who are you? Aren't you? Are you the lady off the telly?" You know, I like that. And also, the actual process is so easy because, unlike most television, and I've done quite a lot of tele telly in my time, you have to work on your script. You have to work on the. If you're doing cooking, you have to make sure your recipe is right. You have to rehearse it. You have to make sure the ingredients there, the equipment's there, the timing is right, and all this. This, none of them, I don't have to do anything. I just turn up in the morning, somebody does my face, somebody does my hair. Um, the great, the best chefs in the country put food in front of me and I eat it. I mean, what's not to like? <laughs> put it like that, yeah. yeah. It's a good point. Your passion for good food also led to your involvement in the School Food Trust. Mm -hmm. um, that's helping to transform school meals. How did you get involved with that? Well, I'm, I'm a terrifically bossy woman. And I've always interfered in, in things I've thought of wrong. So I've been instrumental in setting up quite a lot of charities because I want kids to learn to cook. And so that because I had set up a charity called Focus on Food, which has big pantechnic and buses that go around and they come in, turn into teaching kitchens and they teach kids to cook, and that had been very successful. And, and I run a thing called the food foundation and lots and lots of foodie charities and I'd also been very involved with 
with schools. I chaired a company that turned around failing schools, you know, when Tony Blair said that other people could run a school besides the state. So councils could get rid of their failing schools. And we'd done really well with that. And so I had a background in education, a background in food, and a background in charity. So I guess they thought, well, I'm the right woman to run the School Food Trust. But we'd never have got it off the ground, you know, if it hadn't been for Jamie. Because he 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 did his program about school dinners called, I think it was called School Dinners, about turkey twizzlers and disgusting food that poor unhappy caterers had to open these awful packets of evil-smelling gunk and serve it to children. And it was such a scandal that um, he managed to frighten the government, really, because parents in their droves took children out of school out of school dinners then because they thought they were getting poisoned so they set up the school food trust and they needed somebody to run it and really Jamie and I work very well together because Jamie's fantastic at um, shining a spotlight on what is wrong and very brave about saying to the government that's not enough money and and I'm very good at organising things and getting stuff done. Mm. And so we were, you know, the School Food Trust, which had 70 employees, really chuntering along, encouraging schools and frightening them and encouraging them and generally um, changing the way schools cooked. So it was, it was really, really good. But I'm a bit worried about it now, to be honest, because I think the um, coalition are not so committed to... Well, then they're, they're so passionate about um, choice. The Tories think that individual responsibility is the most important thing and that choice is really important. And actually, if you don't teach children about cooking and food, how are they going to choose the right thing? Mm-hmm. You can't just say children should have choice and then give them a chocolate bar versus an aubergine or a carrot and expect them to choose the carrot. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So they, And then they have this idea that Accountability should be the parents, but the parents have never learned to cook. Mm. Most parents haven't learned to cook. So I think could go backwards. I mean, how do you think the, the British attitude towards food, how do you think that's changed since you first set up your business? Since I, since I set up the business, I'd say the poor have got poorer and eat worse. The middle class have got richer and they eat better. But it's more about hobby and... Um, you know, they've got more experience. They go abroad, so they eat nice food and come back and want the same thing. So for the for the more moneyed classes, it's been good. You know, the restaurants have improved. Supermarkets are selling more interesting food. There are farmers' markets everywhere. We're producing more artisan food than we ever have. All of that's terrific. But the vast majority of people can't afford it. They can't afford best organic, um, you know, farmers' market stuff. And they don't know what to do with it anyway. And they're not going to risk their benefit money on a failure. You know, they don't want to see that food go in the bin. So they stick to what they know will sell, or stick to what they know the children will eat, Mm. which is chips and chocolate. So it's a tragedy. Mm. So that's why the School Food Trust is important. That's why teaching children about food, not just cooking, but cooking, sustainability... Um, you know, all about food miles and the ocean's ecology and all that stuff is incredibly important and we don't do it.
but not enough. Okay, and just finally, what one piece of advice do you have for your fellow graduates today who are just embarking on their careers? Well, it's very interesting because I was thinking about what I'd say to them. And I was thinking that they would be um, graduates doing their first degrees. So I said, and I bet you've got put on weight while you've been at, at <laughs> college because everybody does, or almost everybody does. And I bet it's because you've been ordering in takeaway pizzas. And I was going to give them a lecture about how to... <laughs> And I was also going to say that I thought the most important thing is not to um, to never admit to being bored. Never, ever say, don't be cool. Don't be laid back and cool and disinterested and bored because you cut yourself off from so much stuff. But then I discovered that most of the people who are graduating today have been around as, not quite as long as I have, but for a very long time. <laughs> they know all this stuff, so I don't know what I'm going to say to them. <laughs> but... Um, I guess I'm a great believer in enthusiasm. I think for too long it's been the fashion not to be engaged, to be laid back. And I think that's an absolute tragedy because I know it's a mask for insecurity, if you like. But, you know, if you don't say, yes, I will, let's try, yes, I'll work for that charity, or yes, I'll try and climb that mountain, or this, yes, I'll do this, that, this, then. You know, you're going to get have a very boring, disgruntled life. That's my message. But I'll have to tailor it to grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you very much. <laughs>